Welcome to Buy Size Dental Marketing. Today, I have Managing Director at Skytail Group and my friend, Ben Hernandez. Ben, I love the story. Obviously, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with the story of Skytail Group and, and your journey. But from, I know you came from investment banking, you've been in financial services, you've been in advisories, hedge funds. I would love to hear more about your journey from how you got started and, and where we met at, at MWA to today. What have you been doing in this, all this time? Yeah, thanks, Eric. Uh, thanks for having me excited for today. Uh, as you touched on, my story is primarily financial in nature. Out of school, did investment banking, went back to get my MBA, post-MBA, worked at a hedge fund, I think still most of my career. Uh, and in 2015, that's when I ended up in this space and just completely fell in love. Uh, went to a tax accounting and consulting firm, as you touched on, MWA at the time, uh, and ended up leading the consulting department. And, you know, that was a bit of a career pivot, obviously. So I wasn't mm -hmm. really sure early on, but I really fell in love with the business owners that had always been my heroes. And I always wanted to be a business owner. And it's scary. It sounds scary. And as you get older and have more responsibilities, even scarier. So I fell in love with this concept of doctors who went to dental or medical school and are brilliant, but didn't go to business school wanting to grow and scale. And I just thought that was so phenomenal. Met some amazing personalities. And as you mentioned, that's where you and I met. But specifically, I was very interested in doctors wanting to grow and scale and potentially sell their businesses. Uh, so that was really the idea behind Skytail, which we founded in 2018. Now, how we founded it uh, is also interesting. I owe you a big thank you. Mm. Uh, as I touched on, I never thought I would end up being a business owner after it. I realized how scary it was, uh, but you caught me at the perfect time of you're meeting these entrepreneurs and you realize that they are not perfect. They have flaws, they have doubts, they have things they're confident in, uh, but they struggle every day like any other normal human. So I was starting to gain a little confidence of, oh, they're not infallible. And and you and and we and Andre happened to chat, uh, you know, a few days, yeah. but we had this great idea of, you know, what if we do something together? Could there be something there? Uh, so went to the pain-free offices for a while, uh, which was amazing and, and an amazing town and city. And, you know, you ended up really, so thank you, uh, initially funding Skytail. And that was the genesis of it. And uh, it's been a fun story ever since as well. So, you know, again, thank you. But uh, yeah, what we do at Skytail, we help grow, scale, and sell businesses. So we have two teams to do it. We have a consulting team uh, for businesses who need help on the grow and scaling side of things, which for us typically is in the financial and operational mm -hmm. realms. Uh, and we have an investment banking team for any businesses that are ready to sell typically to institutional capital. Now, no, I'm, I'm really honored to be part of your story. I get asked regularly how to start a company or how to to you know become an entrepreneur or whatever you know nomenclature is appropriate in 2023. But I just I never had a plan B. I never I certainly doubt myself, but I never doubted the ability to be performant. And I think that was it. And I and you know it was such a fun 
ride back then when you were coming into the office and we were talking about Skytail and how to how to layer it into the marketing and it just it, it, I still look back it's one of the fondest times of of you know the last decade for me is is that era and it led to such great partnerships and friends and you know between you and Jessica and and that era I just can't I look back so fondly on the entire experience so I'm I'm glad to be part of that story but to come back to today what are you seeing as the trends in the marketplace? Because from when we, in 2018 to today, when Skytel was founded to today, I mean, there's been massive shifts in the underlying industry. What are you seeing today? Yeah, as you said, massive shifts. If you look back to 2018, the economy was extremely strong. You know, consolidation in dental was certainly happening, but probably closer to 20% or so. Uh, so when we look at things today, you know, you're looking at, an economy in the United States and globally that the capital markets are generally tough, which means different things to business owners as compared to institutional capital investors, but not good for either of them. Um, and then, the, you know, the past year or two, it's been very speculative as to whether are we going into a recession? Are we already in a recession? Mm -hmm. Clearly, we're already in an inflationary environment that makes borrowing more difficult, among other things. So, you know, the positives, though, is there's still a lot of capital that private equity has to deploy. So where do they deploy it? Uh, in this case, what they're looking at is which industries are highly susceptible to market downturns uh, and inflationary environments. And fortunately, in dentistry, uh, you know, we have a really positive track record of being recession resistant. So mm -hmm. that's a big plus for the industry because money's still coming into uh, dentistry due to that. And it continues to grow sometimes at a glacial pace, three, four percent a year, but it grows and it continues to do so. So we're still seeing a lot of excitement there. Now, if we do remain in, in something like this, it obviously hurts and puts some pressure on things from a valuation perspective, even if not on multiples, maybe more so on if you as the business owner uh, you know, if your patients aren't coming in as frequently because they're trying to figure out where to allocate home spending as well, you know, it, it could hurt your cash flow. Um, and, and then certainly it hurts smaller business owners a little bit more because if you're someone trying to go from three to four practices, then, you know, the increased interest rate and the increased scrutiny on lending clearly have an effect on on you know our clients that are trying to scale their businesses so mm -hmm. and hiring's getting more expensive which which puts you know a little bit of pressure uh, on profitability in general but fortunately all things considered i think if you needed to pick a space given we can't control macroeconomics uh dentistry is you know one of the top spaces that any of us would pick i think right now i have a question for you when you talk about interest rates and and i came from tech you know, before dental. So my knowledge on this may be skewed to tech, but in tech, the healthy companies continued to get funded even as you, even as money became more expensive. But the second bite of the apple, as they say, right, the, the going public or the the big private equity deals of, you know, you, you consolidate in and then you, you sell. Those were the deals that started to get challenging. And the second bite of the apple seemed to get further and further away as money tightened up. It wasn't you know, my firm's valuation, it was that second bite. Is it, 
Is, is that how it kind of plays out in dental as well? I think somewhat. I think, you know, in tech, so much of it is forward looking and um, so much of it is, I think, if you're investing in tech, especially if you're more in a VC world, you're investing in hopefully the future of something. So they're very accustomed to a lot of those not working out and failing. I think in dentistry, the difference is if I'm a if I'm a dentist, a business owner, I think banks are a lot more strict with dentistry from the perspective of they don't expect them or want them to fail. They don't really have a lot of those ratios built in, at least not to the level of high growth tech. Um, but I do agree with you, especially on the sell side. Um, I do think that if it starts hurting you know, companies as they're acquiring assets and selling to larger private equity groups, you know, you might see that elongated out a bit because they're looking, they're trying to time as well of when do I sell? Is now the time or you're trying to project out, you know, maybe we come out of this potential recession that we may or may not be in in a year or two? Should we wait a year or two? So yes, I do think that we've seen some of the the larger consolidators maybe wait a little bit longer than they would have in a normal economic environment. Now, what are you seeing for the, you know, we'll call emerging DSO in the five to 15? How have you seen the economy and industry impact them? in today's yeah it's been interesting i think the economy and environment and not only are we in this economic environment we're in but we also just came out of a pandemic that also had a shift in general thinking of team members right so so i think you know number one in hygiene and dentistry there's what some of us have called the great retirement right that that has pained offices to due to a reduced workforce i think overall hiring has been better recently but you have to pay people more. Um, you know, as an example, you know, hygiene schools, we've heard they're telling uh, some of their grads not to accept jobs for less than 50 an hour in some markets. So, you know, in some markets, 38 to 39 was acceptable. We're now seeing 42 to 45. So I think from a hiring perspective, we've seen payroll come up a little bit. We think yeah. maybe it's half a percentage to percentage point. But overall, I think hiring has, has been okay if you take it outside of hygiene. You just have to pay more. But the supply is is getting better. I think, you know, one of the things that we're seeing a lot in the industry is people are interested in how do I get paid faster and at a higher rate? So before, you know, for example, we used to look at KPIs, like look at the AR bucket. I think right now what we're focusing on is digging a little bit deeper, more into, you know, how much does that RCM process actually cost? So you're getting into how many times did we touch that claim? How do we improve efficiencies through AI? technology. So now you're starting to get into the technological advances as well. Um, and then I think one inter one other interesting one in some of you know the ones that you're talking about is we're seeing some thoughts around internal insurance maybe becoming a model. So um, you know this might be on the larger side of what you mentioned, Eric. But we're starting to see some internal insurance discussions that maybe are better suited to to patient care than you know being for lack of a better word, stuck in, in that framework of discounted insurers uh, or accepting fewer insurers. So those are some of the things um, uh, that we're seeing. I've heard numbers that range from 
50% in 10 years to 80% in five years, where do you put current consolidation in dental? And again, I, I think if you use medical and optometry and, and you know, pharmacy and all the others before, how do you see the traditional private equity and growth vehicles change in dental versus the the predecessors? Yeah, and I think that's one of the advantages we have is we kind of have a history book to look back to, whether it's, you know, hospitals in the medical space or pharmacy or even banks if you're going outside of healthcare. But I think, you know, starting with where are we today, I think we're about 30 to 33% consolidated mm -hmm. in dental. So our thoughts are in five years or so, we might be bumping into that 50% range, maybe a little bit below that. I mean, we talked earlier in 2018, it was maybe low 20s. And now five years later, we're in the 30s. Um, so it is it is continuing to accelerate as well. So I think in five years, we'll be in the 50% range. Now, what does that mean? I love that you asked this, actually, because what that means, if you look at other industries, when you get to 60% plus consolidated, that's when you start seeing downward pressure on valuations and multiples, um, in addition to performance, right? Because when you get to that level, you're, that means it's 60% of the market. So double what we are now, let's say, okay, is, is now managed by large platform DSOs that deploy a lot of back-end support for their practices. So I, a practice owner that hangs my shingle and now competing with that, that's one thing. So can I perform as well? That's one question. The other one is from an investor point of view, why would someone pay a big valuation for me when they already have a lot of that white space built in, you know, we're in Dallas, let's say, uh, we already have a lot of that Dallas white space built in. You have to start now as an investor figuring out, would I pay X multiple or whatever valuation for Ben's practice? Why not, why not de novo? Why not do something else that's a lot cheaper? Right. So when it gets to 60%, you start seeing some of that. But so we still have quite a ways to go from mm -hmm. a, you know, nice valuation perspective. Yeah, I, th I think somewhere in the, in, in tech too, somewhere in the 55 to 60% is where there's an opportunity cost to buy you, unless there's a strategic reason I would buy this practice, I am probably better off sticking to my own model, building a new practice in the same place and then competing that that's one of the things that i wish the the general population of dentists understood is that everyone likes to talk about how the dso's don't have the quality of care and and by and large i agree with them in theory i believe what the general practitioner doesn't understand is that they're going to catch up i i don't know that today we view optometry chain and optometry private is, is better or less than they, they tend to equalize. But the one thing that private equity and these organizations are doing well is they're supporting those clinics from an HR side, from a revenue cycle management, like you said, side, from a marketing side, and they're bringing experts to bear in those practices and they're shoring up the weaknesses of maybe that single owner doctor or that single you know, or, or that location and that it's hard to compete with that over time and that's where private equity almost always wins uh you know in a race against a single just because of the resources they can bring to bear 
Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, if you think about it and you said catch up, I think that's the key word here is, you know, we've been in consolidation about 15 years or maybe a little bit more in dentistry. So I think that what we've seen is this version of private equity consolidation compared to 15 years ago is a lot different because they have started to adapt and realize that separation of church and state and how important Mm -hmm. it is. Meaning I, private equity, am going to help you on the administrative side. Things that you probably, Dr. Hubbard, don't even like to do anyway. You're Mm -hmm. not going to complain to me if I take away your accounting, if I help you recruit better, if I take away HR functions and the like. And on the marketing side, leave maybe boots on the ground closer marketing to you while I do a lot of the analytics in the background. Those are things that you're not going to mind. And I leave you to provide great patient care. In fact, you now have a greater a focus on your client who is the patient and then a really well-run DSO, you're the client of theirs, right? Mm -hmm. So the ones who were able to figure that out, I think have done, you know, a really marvelous job. The other thing on patient care that's important, I, I had a client say this once and we even applied at our firm now because he's absolutely right. He's a fantastic oral surgeon. But he said, at the end of the day, you, Ben, don't even know if I'm a good oral surgeon or not. So we're a marketing firm because nobody knows that I'm a good oral surgeon or whether I'm a bad oral surgeon. They don't know how to measure that. There's no way to measure who really is the best oral surgeon here. So how am I going to get you in the door? Marketing. And he said, at the end of the day, we're a marketing firm. And I think that's what a lot of, you know, doctors probably ought to realize is that most patients don't know if you're a fantastic dentist nope. or not. Bedside ma- manner is very important. They know how you made how you made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's important. But I don't know whether you did a fantastic job filling my cavity or not. It's, it's not a commodity, but I'm not educated. A typical patient is not educated enough to know, oh, this <laughs> one is better. And then the other thing is most patients don't know whether there's a DSO uh, running it behind the scenes because most investors allow, you know, Hubbard DDS to remain on the door. No, uh, you nailed it. I, and even if we did know, it's like saying, um, I work for the greatest company on the planet. Well, you, you've only had 10 jobs. You've not experienced all of them. So you you don't actually know anything. I mean, you, you know how this made you feel. That is marketing, and and I think that that is what the DSOs understand and the private equity understands is that they're getting to real consumer behavior and what's driving it and how well you can construct your, you know, your bite and, and, and your margins. All of that is really important, but we often see average dentists who know, understand the connection with patients outperform phenomenal dentists who might not know how to highlight their talents regularly. 100%. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, and I think that's why, you know, his comment on the marketing thing, you know, hit the nail on the head is bring them in the door. And if you're fantastic at what you do, uh, you'll get the right patients in there. I, I just thought that was a phenomenal mm-hmm. thing to say. And yeah, like not many people know pain-free dental management is the best place to work, but I do because you were making us the chili pepper things every few weeks, and uh, <laughs> I loved it. So, but you're right; not many people know that unless you're there. Yeah, man, they might be giving away free stuff here every day. Who knows? 
you mentioned investment banking. We talked a little bit on the pre-show about it. What's next for you? Where is Skytail headed and, and where are you going in the world? Yeah, I think, you know, next for us as a firm is, you know, from a management consulting side of things, we really started and we're still passionate and it's still our core. We really started by wanting to help out those you know, entrepreneurial doctor owners, we, we, there are heroes and we say it internally within these walls all the time. And that's typically three to 15 type location clients that are wanting to grow and scale. As we've continued to add talent to the team, you know, we have people that have owned and sold, you know, multi-location, you know, Eric sold a 43 location DSO. David was CEO for 121 location DSO, private equity backed. You know, Greg sold his DSO and grew it, you know, largely and worked within those walls. So we're actually starting to also help and moving upstream larger mid-market DSOs that instead of saying, help me run my firm as a whole, or saying, I need a very specific, precise problem or opportunity fixed with you guys. So that's, you know, we're doing that, continuing to move upstream, which I think adds value to even our lower clients, because now sure. we're able to see those walls. And I think on the investment banking side, same concept. Uh, we went from being a broker to now fully licensed investment bank, which allows us to really service our clients even more fully, uh, where we're able to do things now that we weren't before, uh, which is extremely exciting. So we're still focusing on the same EBITDA range, but similar to consulting, um, especially the groups that we were early on in helping build, we want to one day maybe you know provide services for lower mid to mid market uh, type of platforms as well, if they ever are interested in a transaction or a capital raise, whatever it may be. It's been so amazing to watch Skytail grow and build it into this juggernaut across MedSpa, across all that you built. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just humbled that I get to be part of the origin story back there in the five years ago when it happened. But I mean, my hat's off to what you've built and the team you built and the, the culture you have and the company. And I, I mean, I, I think it's a testament to you as a human being and, and how amazing you are. And I'm, I'm I appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Eric. And you know, you know, I should be the one thanking you. Um, you saw something in us. I don't know how or why, but uh, thank you for that. You believed in us, and I still remember in your offices picking your brain all the time about. Um, and, and that's where I even got my thing of, okay, I burned all the boats because of what you said earlier, that you never saw it as anything but. And that's the way I started seeing it. So you provided a lot of guidance and mentorship and, you know, even the culture within your office. I've mm -hmm. taken a few ideas from, like we have snacks here, for example, which I thought was really cool that you always had and provided. So, you know, none of this would have been possible literally without you. Uh, and so, you know, Thank you. I mean, I think about you just about every day and uh, thank you for allowing this to happen and for having me on. And, you know, I love what you and the pain-free team uh, does for your clients uh, in this space. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Well, that was Ben Hernandez. Thank you, Eric.